So once you have a court order or a judgment against a party for damages, how do you collect the funds that are owed to you? Or if you've been a victim of a scam and you need to recover your assets, how do you recover assets from a judgment or a civil order? Well, the next step in the process is usually what's called a writ of garnishment or a garnishment order. We're going to talk about how a garnishment is done, what the procedures are. We're going to look at a couple different examples in different courts. Here's one for Texas. Here's one in Oregon. We're going to look at a couple different garnishment examples. Now, keep in mind, this is not intended to give you legal advice like an attorney. We're not a law firm. We're a licensed private investigative agency. So we work with a lot of clients for asset tracing, asset recovery, asset searching. So that's our role in the process. Keep in mind, there may be other legal opinions, legal advice you may need for your particular case. So use this as an example of assistance with an asset search, but not legal advice. So to start with, here's a very, very good example for garnishments, which talks about the basics. It's garnishment information and instructions for the creditor and the debtor. Most important thing, courts cannot provide legal advice. Just like we can't provide legal advice, neither can the court. So if you go to court to have this judgment garnishment issued, they're not going to be able to assist you with preparing it, with the, the legalities involved behind it. They can just simply take your filing and execute it. The other second thing is you must have a money judgment already before you can do a garnishment. You can't just garnish somebody's paycheck, garnish their bank account, take money from them until you have a court order. Just because you have a claim against a person, maybe they scammed you out of money, maybe it's a fraud case, maybe it's some other type of financial crime, you probably deserve to have your money back, but you can't do a garnishment until you have a court award to you, a judgment against you. Even if you have that, the court is not responsible to collect that money. You have to do that yourself with the garnishment. So there's a couple different types of garnishment. There's a continuing garnishment, like garnishing somebody's paycheck. Every week you take a certain amount out. There's a non-continuing garnishment, meaning that if somebody owes you $200,000 and you know that they have it in a bank account, you may be able to get a lump sum garnishment. Once the judgment is satisfied, there'll be a satisfaction, so that will keep you from getting any more garnishment. You can't take more than what's owed to you. And the parties involved, the judgment creditor, that's you, the person who is owed the money, and the debtor is the, the defendant in the case who owes you the money. The garnishee is the third party involved. It could be the employer. It could be a bank that holds the money for that person. So all these three parties have to be involved with the process. So how do you start? Well, if it's a non-continuing garnishment, this is the one that we're most familiar with in our industry because we find bank accounts and we have those bank accounts be garnished. First, you have to request the garnishment, the writ of garnishment from the court. And you have to get an order for that garnishment from the court from that request. You have to do a return of service for notifications. And the other party can object to this and they have to waive that objection or put a rejection. Once you have an order on the hearing, you also have to include a privacy notification letter because parties can't give improper notifications of this garnishment process to third parties. They can't tip somebody off that somebody's trying to take their money. They also can't use the information for identity theft or for other fraud. 
all those forms and this is an example from Wyoming but it's very similar in other places each of the forms you have to complete the form and enter the case number that's the same as the one for your judgment if you have more than one case you have to use the one from your judgment and you submit each one of those forms and you have to serve those on the garnishee which is let's say in this case the bank when you have a bank account that you're looking to take money from, you have to serve that bank these official notices signed by the court. In most states, that has to be done by a sheriff or by an official process server. You can't take that to the bank yourself. And even if you technically are allowed to, you probably don't want to because the bank may not take it as seriously. They may want to verify it. If the creditor is bringing in this, the forms, they might want to protect their depositor. So you want to have an official authority bring that in, whether it's a process server, a sheriff, or somebody else. The other thing is you want to make sure it's done correctly. You don't want to have any errors on that garnishment because if there's an error or something that's incorrectly filled out, the garnishee or the bank is allowed to reject it. They're allowed to turn it down. And you've got to remember, that bank might be looking out for the best interest of their customer, their depositor. And while they're usually not allowed to tip them off in advance so the person can clear out their bank account, if there is something wrong with that writ of garnishment, they're allowed to reject it. And then once it's rejected, then maybe they can find a way to notify their customer. So you want to make sure it's done right the first time. And the garnishee has to answer. They can object to it. They can say, well, we don't think this is correct because whatever their standing is behind objecting to it. And there's procedures for that. They have to have a valid reason for not abiding by the writ of garnishment. And once that's done, the garnishee files an answer and it's approved by the judge, then the money will be transferred to you. And then once that's done, you file a satisfaction of the judgment. So let's take a look at another form. Here's an example of what the writ of garnishment looks like. This is Cook County, Texas, but it's, it's a very similar format for many jurisdictions in the country. Remember, there's 3,611 counties around the country. Every county does it a little bit different, but the form usually looks like this. It says, I, the undersigned applicant, makes this application for a writ of garnishment based on the following. I have sued the defendant for debt, case number so-and-so, and I have a valid subsisting judgment. You have to say that because they want to make sure you're not collecting twice, right? Just because you sued the defendant and have a debt what if they already paid it? You can't go get the judgment again. So you also have to sign saying that the judgment is still open. And you fill this out, sign it, a notary or the court clerk has to verify your signature. And then that's what's used as the application for garnishment. Here's an example from Oregon. Oregon has some specific forms. There's a company called Stevens Nest that prepares blank legal forms and they have this form available. You have to complete the forms based on the information from your judgment, typed or neatly printed. We do not recommend printing them. We recommend typing them because that way there's no typos, there's no errors, and the clerk of court is more likely to accept it if it's typed versus handwritten. But the clerk of court cannot complete this form for you. They can't help you with it. Again, we've seen this before. They cannot provide legal advice or legal assistance. They need four copies. So if the form that you purchase from Stevens Nest is a single part form you have to make photocopies you can't make the copies at the court you have to make them before you go there you need to include the name and address of the financial institution so they know where to serve it and there are some financial institutions that have a fee that you have to pay to them to do this 
and you have to make the checkout to that bank. So if Chase Bank charges $10 for a writ of garnishment, you have to pay them directly. In Oregon, you cannot deliver this garnishment yourself to the bank. You take the garnishment to the sheriff, process server, or post office for them to deliver it. A lot of times you can do it certified mail. You can't just walk into the bank and slap it on the counter and do the garnishment that way. Make sure you read it to understand exactly what's going to happen after it's delivered. Definitely make a copy of that form. And in this case, they talk about what are the other forms. Sometimes you may have to get a surety bond for the garnishment. It's pretty cheap. Usually it's 50, 100 bucks to get a surety bond. If you need one of those, check out probonds.com, P-R-O-B-O-N-D-S.com. They can get you a surety bond if you need that. Complete the form, make three copies, bring it to the court. There may be a judgment debtor examination, meaning that the debtor might be forced to come forward and give information about their accounts and about their assets. Here's another example of a garnishee disclosure. So this is where you're disclosing to the garnishee, which is the bank, the debt itself and what their disclosure is about what their role is. They might say that garnishee is not obligated to pay the defendant because of a reason. So if let's say it's served on a, an employer and the employer says, no, I'm not gonna pay this because this person doesn't work here anymore. They're not employed here anymore, right? Or the garnishee, doesn't have an account here or the amount to be withheld is less than what's in the judgment so there might be reasons why the garnishee would have an objection to it here's a form that from colorado that has an interesting part claim of exemption to the writ of garnishment so if the debtor is going to claim that they are exempt from this garnishment for whatever reason sometimes retirement accounts can be exempt sometimes states have homestead exemptions and they can sign an affidavit saying, I believe the property is exempt. What's the description and exempt because, and they have to type it in. So this is another form that may come up with different types of garnishments. A writ of garnishment is an important next step when you have a financial judgment against a debtor in a lawsuit or a divorce case or a probate case. It's a way for you to recover and seize funds or assets held by the person. It could be bank accounts, it could be vehicles, it could be real estate, it could be any asset listed in the, in the writ. Make sure that if you need legal advice, you get good qualified legal advice from an attorney who knows how to handle these things, or you can do it yourself. Make sure that you do it correctly the first time, otherwise the debtor could be tipped off that you're trying to get their assets and they could shift them around or move them to another vesting uh, party. If you have any questions about asset searching and asset tracing, you can reach us at our website at activeintel.com.